but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. This is episode 227, and we could not begin this episode without at least acknowledging your stellar performance on the quiz mm -hmm. on the last episode. You know, I think some of the low points overshadowed some of the excellent stuff that I did on that quiz. And at the very least, you provided moments of levity. There was, I think it was our best quiz segment that we've done simply mm -hmm. because it was actually like funny in parts yeah certainly not the best quiz or the best performance but and maybe the goal isn't to strive for excellence maybe that's not what the listeners <laughs> are going for here because y'all seem to enjoy roasting james pretty yeah. roundly. people people want relatability you know <laughs> i think you referred to your performance as giving dumb bitch energy mm -hmm. that's certainly what it felt like uh, upon a re-listen. I, I had the pleasure of editing that part of the episode and actually was cracking up listening <laughs> to it. Uh, so there's going to be another quiz, right? Uh -huh. I've been told. Yes. I don't know what it's about. We will find out later in the episode. Well, not to throw you off your game for the rest of the episode, but it is again about the rankings. Oh, great. It's a different spin on the rankings, mm -hmm. but the quiz is about the rankings again. Okay. This past uh, week or so, we've been in Madrid, which is... We were in Madrid? Well, we were transported to the Caja... Magica? Yes. Magic, tragic, whatever. The title of this episode is The Unattractive Inside Open. Exactly. Madrid is not traditionally a tournament that we enjoy very much. It occupies such a weird place on the calendar, in my opinion, because it doesn't play like the other European clay tournaments... It is aesthetically very unappealing, in my opinion. I don't like the stadium. I don't like the tennis it produces. And I'm just going to be a hater for mm. this entire episode about this tournament. So for you, it's Indian Wells and Madrid. Those are your two most hated events. And, and Madrid even more so, just because I feel like it proves that if you have enough money, you can buy a spot on a really important part of the calendar. Mm -hmm. And it, it does not buy you prestige. That's the thing. The, the Madrid winner is not always a predictor of who's doing the best on clay. What is also unpredictable is the woman's trophy that we'll see presented to the mm -hmm. winner of that event. It's Previously, like, everybody, everybody got the dildo. Now, for the last few years, the women haven't gotten the dildo. Mm -hmm. Lately, it's been which Walmart trophy Tyriac can uh, wheel out for the women. Serena Williams is currently in Rome. She'll be playing tomorrow, Wednesday in her opening match against uh, Podoroska. In her pre-tournament press, she was asked by Tamani Cariol whether she skipped Madrid because of the co certain comments by the tournament owner, Jan Tyriak. And Serena, <laughs> uh, she didn't quite say it all, but she was like, comments on that guy, that old guy, that well, he's still... Uh, and it, it appeared... He's still what? It appeared <laughs> that she was uh, 
getting the point of saying he's still alive, but stopped herself but short. She she could have meant a number of things, which was the beauty of it. She could have meant, oh, he's still talking about me. Oh, he's still messy. Oh, he still owns this tournament. And that's where we are with this title of this episode. It is spearheaded by Tyriac. The tournament director is Feliciano Lopez, who has himself a checkered past. And then we have the winner on the men's side being Zverev. So it's a it's a trifecta of wonderfulness in mm-hmm. Madrid on the men's side. I mean, I would prefer to forget that this week happened. Like, I, I'm never excited about the tournament. I realize that we are supposed to talk about it. But coming off a week where Basilashvili wins the title in Munich, then Zverev wins the title in Madrid, both of whom are accused of domestic violence. Basilashvili is a actually in a trial at the moment. Zverev, you know, no one has pressed charges against him or taken him to civil court, but he uh, he stands accused publicly. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a uh, just a repeatedly bad look and it's really uh, discouraging for me. Like it's hard to get excited week in and week out when this stuff is still hanging over the mm. ATP. But at this point it, it's it's something that the ATP has brought upon itself. Mm-hmm. Each week now we have their social media interns scrubbing messages on social media when they're, you know, praising Basilashvili, praising Zver for their various exploits leading up to and then winning the tournaments. And then folks are like, hey, what's mm-hmm. going on here? But this is their doing because they have taken no steps to be proactive. And like most sporting organizations around the world, implement their own domestic violence policies whereby they would then investigate stuff themselves it's allowed this vacuum where the amateur attorneys of tennis twitter can be like well it's not it's not an employer it's not like the nfl so they can't do anything and so the atp could easily step in and say if they are hindered by the law in this jurisdiction if they if their lawyers feel that they're prevented from action then they should say that they need to wear that but all we've heard is that, well, you know, if, if someone is convicted, we'll look into it. That's it. We are so beyond the arguments that while Zverev was not accused in a court of law, charges were not filed. That, that was like eight months ago. The frustrating part about this for me is that we cannot move past that discourse. Fine, Zverev is here. He's clearly not going to stop playing tennis voluntarily. And the ATP is clearly not going to stop him from playing tennis. And we have to deal with that. But we could have been in a better place had the ATP had something in place to deal with this kind of situation. Clearly, it's not an unforeseen situation, but also as clear, they just don't give a damn. Right, because it will happen again. We've seen Basilashvili win twice this year. Zverev has won. He plays well in his little tournaments. This is going to happen week in, week out. And the net effect is that you're alienating a pretty sizable swath of your followers at this point. Mm. There are a lot of folks who are just totally fed up and disgusted by this. And there's a lot of fans who do not care. The ATP Instagram is deleting negative comments. So you really just see a wave of positive, cheery comments Mm -hmm. under Zvera posts. Tennis TV and the various media outlets repeatedly tweet things like so-and-so won a bruising contest that just happened today about basilashvili it's like 
how did you not think of this? How do these things go out and then have to be deleted? This is it. Like, this is what the response has been. Because you've been deleting stuff for a while now. So, like, you know what's up with these players and the response that you'll be getting. This has been going on for months, and yet you still make these same amateur mistakes. Right. Among journalists, I think the response has been kind of interesting because I've noticed that a lot of journalists have either removed themselves or have have only tweeted or written very cursory, very basic things when Zverev or Basilashvili win something. You know, if you're not uh, a German reporter, you you might not be assigned this story, right? You may not actually have to report on Zverev if you don't want to, unless you're writing the wrap-up for your, for your newspaper that week. It also presumes that Zverev was a big draw even before this happened, which I'm not convinced was the case. It's also been months now since we've had that first story with Olya Sharapova for Racket Magazine and Ben Rothenberg, and we've been promised a second one. In the meantime, we haven't gotten it, and it appears from what I've seen on Twitter that Olya has started to take down some of her previous posts, and I wonder if the net effect of that is is causing some reticence right. in how folks approach this story. So, you know, this leaves the window open for people to say, well, did it really happen? Like, was she really telling the truth? If the second story hasn't come out, we've we've heard nothing about it in court or anything. But lately, when he wins a tournament, uh, there's there's a lot of silence where there would normally be a lot of tweets, a lot of reporting. You know, it seems like the reporters at large are uninterested or perhaps scared to touch it. And then, of course, there are some contrarians who go even harder in the opposite direction. I feel like it's my job here to ask you to be more specific about whom you're talking. No, I, everybody knows. You can, you can see it. I'm not going to name anyone. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this tournament started off being a mess from the jump, right? Because at the very start of the Madrid Open, the sponsor, one of the main sponsors the Mutua Madrid Foundation, launched a campaign with tennis players against domestic violence. It had pictures of a few players, and then it had a list of other players who weren't pictured. And on that list was Alexander Zverev. Now, this would have been the first time, to my knowledge, since this whole situation arose where he was accused of domestic violence, that he even remotely, tangentially attached his name to being against domestic violence. In none of his previous statements Mm. where he came out and presented himself as the aggrieved, as somebody whose childhood was ruined by receiving that news in his childhood bed with his brother beside him, did he say, you know, first of all, I take this very seriously. This is something that is a scourge on this earth, that it's absolutely abhorrent domestic violence. We've never heard that from him. No. So it now was just mon- I I didn't do that and I would never do that. And now months on now, we have this slid in. This is also the second time, to my knowledge, at least the second time that the Mitra Madrid Foundation has run this kind of campaign. Four or five years ago, they did the same thing. And so with this not being your first rodeo, how do you not foresee... Zverev being attached to this as being a problem. Mm. And so we open the tournament with that mess, and then we end it with Zverev winning. 
So uh, yeah, it it was le- it was a less than stellar week of tennis watching for us. <laughs> it was a weird tournament, right? Novak didn't play. Uh, Rafa lost again this time to Zverev in straight sets. Dominic Team is back. He got all the way to the semifinals, losing to his friend Zverev. <laughs> what? <laughs> it sounded like that was pointed, but they actually are friends. <laughs> yes, and they've been friends I, for a while. I didn't mean it in any kind of way. Losing to his friend. And Dominic is 8-3 and three versus Zverev. And two of those three losses have come at this tournament. Rafa is 5-3 and three against Zverev. And two of those losses <laughs> have come against Zverev at this tournament. Right. So this is obviously a surface and conditions and a place that he feels inspired by to the detriment of the rest of us. The Nadal match, Rafa was just out of sorts all around. The serve wasn't there again. Well, I mean, we we have lesser, we have less expectations of Rafa at this tournament. Historically, he's only won it, what, five times? And we know about the altitude, the the way the the ball plays different, the way the ball moves through the air different in the altitude, how this tournament tends to favor bigger servers, bigger hitters. It's a mulligan for me. (laughs) Yes. Uh, What happened in... In... No, we, we've had enough of that. I don't need. I don't need. Any <laughs> you more don't of need that. it. I mean, it's so good. It is, but it's been just overdone. It's it's an incredible feat how that has been overdone so much in less than two years. Yeah, I think we played a part in it too, didn't we? Make a title based on it. Yeah, at yeah. one point, shit happened in Rome or something like that. So in that first semifinal, Zverev beats Team straight sets, and then Berrettini beats Casper Ruud in straight sets as well. Casper Ruud, who has made now two. Masters 1000 semifinals on clay this year, following up Monte Carlo. He's positioned himself as one of the players that you absolutely do not want to play in as early as the fourth round now. Mm -hmm. We mentioned on recent episodes how Berrettini seems to have recaptured the form that made him a top 10 player, the form that he lost pretty much all of last year, and he's building on that even more again making his first final of a Masters 1000 tournament. Yeah, he's coming off the win in Serbia. And he was up a set against Verve. He was looking good against Verve. And he just did not play the big moments well. He had some complete brain fart moments. And Verve held his nerve in that final. And that was that. Yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't a super long match, right? Like the first set went to a tie break. Zverev hit a double fault at a really bad time, giving Berrettini the set. And then the second two sets just, I mean, it wasn't that interesting. Like, it's a lot of serve botting between the two of them and on that surface. Mm-hmm. Still, Berrettini has an infinitely more interesting game yeah, than Zverev, yeah. to my mind. But he did have some, like, mental lapses. Just, mm-hmm. you know, missing on some easy forehands, which is usually his bread and butter. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Zverev going for broke on every second serve and failing spectacularly in high-pressure moments, that that doesn't give me enjoyment. (laughs) Because at the end of that first set, it was a fantastic way to wake up. (laughs) Berrettini then leaves Madrid, having played Zverev, to then open in Rome against, against, against who? Guess. Can you guess? I know. Against Basilashvili. <laughs> Just seeing if you're paying attention. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. That's that, that, Those are the men in Madrid. On the women's side, we've got a repeat of the Stuttgart final, but with a different winner. 
Arena Sabalenka had never won a clay tournament before, gets to the final here, and bagels Barty in the first set. I mean, the first set was over so fast, in a blink, it, she was literally hitting Ash off the court. Mm-hmm. This is what she does. When Sabalenka is clicking, she can probably blow anybody off the court. Pretty much. And listen, she hit one unforced error in the first set. 11 winners and one error. It was over so quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're Ash Barty, it's like, well, let's let's wheel and come again in the second set and hope that Arena starts missing as she is sometimes wont to do. I know that we thought... Serena's win against Simona in Australia was probably her most impressive win at that tournament. But looking back now, her winning against Sabalenka, I think in what, the fourth round? Mm. Was probably even more impressive. Because a Sabalenka that's clicking can do that to anybody. Yeah, I think the the only thing is that Sabalenka has not reached those later stages of a major, so it feels less impressive. And Serena is experienced enough to know that she can wait out the storm. Right, but are we getting to a point now with Sabalenka that she doesn't need to rein it in to win? For most most opponents, that's right. She will beat most opponents, even if she starts making a whole lot of mistakes. No, but, but I'm saying she seems to be getting to a point where she might not be making those huge mistakes in finals. That she can play mm-hmm. this way, that she has enough variety, if needed... That she has enough of, even as minuscule as it may be, enough of a plan B to still just rely mostly on her big babe tennis. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I was impressed with the the variety that she showed during this tournament and in that final. Like, she has added uh, some touch to her game, definitely. And her the, movement is really good as well. Mm-hmm. She plays great defense. And her ability to regroup in this final was also very impressive. Because, so, Ash opens the second set, breaks immediately, and goes up to Love. And she she pretty much had control of that second set. In the third set, it appears that, you know, somebody is going to have to break, right? Obviously. I mean, you can win in a tie break. But you mean, like, somebody's going to break down eventually. Yeah. And Ash was holding her serve more easily as the match went on arena like she had more chances on arena's serve so i kind of assumed that ash would probably break at some point in the third set and win and arena just didn't go away also ash kind of imploded in that ninth game oh my god yeah so at four all she's broken at love in just a, a like a head scratcher of a game her streak of having beaten x number of top 10 players in a row broken (laughs) like Ash had been on a hell of a run to get to this point she had beaten Sabalenka in the four in the quarterfinals I believe in Miami beaten her in the finals of Stuttgart and then playing her again in Madrid these two have been to my mind the the best two surface players of the year so far clay and hard yeah Sabalenka a little bit unforeseen with her her runs on clay I mean you could maybe say Stuttgart is played indoors mm-hmm. and that this surface and these conditions in Madrid are a little bit more helpful to Sabalenka than say they'll be in Rome or at Roland Garros. I'll accept that caveat, 
but the results speak for themselves. Yeah, I'll be really interested to see her play like on a more traditional red clay surface in Rome and in France. Because coming in with this form, this could be a chance for her legit breakthrough in a major. Like what's stopping her? A lot of things can stop her still. <laughs> it's, sure. There's nothing inevitable about it. But this is, this is such a great chance for her to come in on a, a string of really great results and building confidence based on actually like thinking her way through matches. In the semis, Barty defeated Badosa, who was also a semifinalist in Charleston. Quite the, the glow up for her this year after her auspicious start. To the year in yes. Australian quarantine yes. alongside Martia Kostiuk. She's recovered from her PR disaster and is uh, letting her results speak for themselves. Sabalenka beat uh, Pavlyuchenkova in the other semi. And Pavs, she uh, she's kind of making up for not playing in Monterey this year. You know, because that is like her tournament. I think she's won it four times mm-hmm. or something. So this week... She decided she wanted to beat Pliskova. I mean, who hasn't lately? But she also took out Jen Brady in three sets, Karolina Muhova, and Muhova was just coming off beating Naomi and Sakari back-to-back. A cute result for her. A very yes, cute result. Yes. Like, she's always dangerous, really. I mean, that's just kind of the story of this, well, every season lately on the WTA. But there are so many of these dark horses who can really wreak havoc in a lot of people's lives that said we've seen a lot of consistency in the results mm-hmm. recently a lot of the folks who are having success keep having success we thought that that was maybe a function of having played so much of the post covid resumption tennis on hard courts but these players i mean it it just keeps happening yeah yeah so now we're in rome And uh, at this tournament, Djokovic and Serena return. Djokovic played his first round match today, playing Taylor Fritz. Technically the second round, Djokovic with Mm. a bye. It's always something. Especially between these two. Well, especially especially it happened twice now. They've played twice now, there's been drama twice Mm -hmm. now. But I Uh, take your point. The common denominator here is the number one player. Uh It's... You know, there's always pure stunts going on. So 6-2, 5-4 up, serving for the match... In rain, the rain is impending. We knew this from yesterday. All people could talk about on Twitter was, oh my god, how much tennis are we going to get into more because the rain. I even some, saw somebody tweet that. Looks like we'll be able to get tennis in up until like 3.42 tomorrow or something like that. <laughs> right. And so Djokovic is up 6-2-5-4, fails to close out that set. And uh, part of that was Mr. Fritz blitzing a backhand to win a point in incredible fashion and that just set mr novak off against the Mm -hmm. umpire oh yeah i mean he was screaming like screaming bloody murder about are we ever gonna stop inspired by swv's performance of rain on the weekend at the versus (laughs) novak djokovic was like don't rain down on me don't (laughs) Let your love pour all over me. I'm out of here. I said we should have stopped playing. It was like it was like a real Karen moment is what it was. It was. And he did apologize to the umpire afterward. He said, oh, <laughs> hey, dude, sorry for screaming at you before. I was thinking this week because I, I often clown NBA refs because they, they give out technicals for like any old thing. 
right? Mm -hmm. We watch Raptors games constantly at home. Well, not anymore because they're terrible right now. And there's well, no I'm, point because they're not, they're not going to playoffs. I'm watching but, Knicks games yes, this season. But NBA refs will sometimes give technicals for just a little back chat, right? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you talk a little too much at the ref, you'll get punished. In tennis, it's really not that way. Tsitsipas recently, Djokovic, any number of players can be really nasty to umpires. And what what happens? Like nothing. Nothing happens. Jumor, well, Pear, right? like it happens extensively. And we saw Fognini get defaulted recently. And that, uh, we couldn't hear what was actually said. That could have been the most minor of all of those incidents. We don't even know, <laughs> right? Bottom line is here. You served for the match. You did not mm. hold your serve, and you were still up 6-2, 5-all. Like... Like, daddy chill. You don't I know don't, that video, do you? I don't. But also, <laughs> like, this isn't a case of playing on a slipperier surface in the rain. I mean, if, if, on you're, on, if you're on grass, I get it. Like, if this is clay. Like, this stuff was built for rain. Some <laughs> right. rain. A little bit of rain. They literally water the courts. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's part of... <laughs> I'm not anti-outburst, mm -hmm. as much as I hate outbursts in general, as a rule. <laughs> not, I, not just in tennis. I'm willing like... to grace you, to grant you sporadic outbursts, mm -hmm. but like your first match. Right, but... In Rome. And it's not just When you're this. like way up, I just, I just can't. It's obviously not just this. I feel like there's been this culture of using the umpire to vent all of your frustrations about tennis and life and the bubble and everything mm. like the umpire is that not, is true is not there as a receptacle how much has that shifted even more since there are no fans in the stadium because yeah. previously right? you could react to the fans like maybe booing something that they didn't like and mm. use that to fuel you know you've said it many times that tennis players are always going to find something to go on about right even if you think you fix something for them, something else is going to be a problem. So like, no, perhaps they feel like they have to talk out loud, shout out loud. There are no fans. It mm. has to be directed at somebody. And, you know, when there are fans, if they feel a player is being crazy to an umpire, they the fans might react, right? Mm. The fans might boo you. The French crowd definitely would if you're holding up the match. There's There's none of that back and forth. Like there's no Greek chorus to comment on what's going on on court. Mm. And so now what we're seeing, and it seems like it's been exacerbated in this COVID era, is these men working through their their angst and their, their gripes and grievances and unleashing their toxic masculinities on court when in fact they probably need to see a therapist. And many of them are. Well... They're seeing sports therapists. Gurus, coaches. This is a very different side of the medicine mm -hmm. that I'm talking about. It's not the same, James. <laughs> Previously, we mentioned that Serena is going to open against Podoroska. Then she uh, potentially plays Naomi Osaka in the quarterfinals before possibly Halep in the semifinals. Yeah, that's definitely a tough quarter, but... You know, we're in like the 35th year of Serena Williams' career. We do not worry about draws in tournaments that are not Grand Slams. Yeah. Like, if she gets two good matches, that's fine. You know, what do we expect in Rome? I don't expect her to leave Rome with a title 
If she does, great. I mean, she's done it four times already. Yeah, but... The French Open isn't starting next week. <laughs> like, she can go full throttle this yes, week. Yes, And preserve her body from injury. But this is one of those tournaments that if she's healthy, it's the perfect lead-up to a Grand Slam for her, for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's the place where she met her husband... Venus's favorite city. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly they have a lot of fun here. So there's, she can go there's up for good gelato feelings. at night, before the curfew at 10. She can, you know, conjure all these nourishing, affirming feelings. She can nourish her soul, her spirit. <laughs> whatever it was that Tsitsipas plagiarized. To then oh. <laughs> create a spectacular moment ahead of the French Open. Mm. And... Naomi is finding her footing literally on clay. Um, Simona, we haven't heard a whole lot from Simona compared to what she usually does during a clay season. So who knows? Nadal opens against Yannick Sinner tomorrow. Man, that is a rough opener. Mm-hmm. You know, it I, is. You know, folks, folks were going off about Nadal opening against Alcaraz in Madrid. Was it mm. Madrid or was it a previous tournament? Uh, one of no, the that pr- was Madrid. Yeah, and you know, that was done and dusted in no time. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Sinner is playing on home soil, and Sinner has shown a propensity to fuck people up. <laughs> but no, Nadal is a little bit vulnerable, I would say, to somebody with the the weapons of a Sinner. And weapons that we still don't even know in full of Sinner. <laughs> After Sinner, should Nadal win... He would play potentially Shapovalov, then ugh, Zverev again in the quarterfinals <laughs> before other shit in the later rounds. Mm, like yeah. I, I, I have such little capacity to look deep into draws I these mean, days. It's really? like if it's not a major, like how can you bother stressing about it? Also, we're literally living day to day today. Like yeah. I can take in what the tennis is going to be tomorrow. And fit that into what my life is going to be tomorrow. <laughs> right, but right. to figure out like what shit's going to be on Sunday? No, ma'am. No, no, no. Bianca Andreescu withdrew from Rome um, because of, quote, Italian government rules, putting her at risk of being isolated because of her previous COVID-19 case. This whole thing is very confusing, to be honest. I, don't, I do not understand what's going on. What I've seen so much talk about this. First of all, it's the jokes, right? Oh my God, there she goes again. Bianca can't play, blah, 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 blah. What is it this time? Well, I mean, this is the time of COVID. It makes sense. Like, I don't know what the actual Italian laws are, but if she says right. that's the reason, I believe it. Additionally, because the following week, she's entered to play in Parma, which is also in Italy. All right. So. Yeah, that's the tournament they added to the calendar mm-hmm. in between Rome and the French. So you're saying you're no longer confused? Just 30 seconds well, ago, you were so confused by I don't, this. No, I'm so confused. What I, are you confused about? I found about? her post very confusing and vague. It was definitely vague. Uh, yeah. So, I don't, I don't know. I, I think she was saying that... I wish her the best and I hope that she plays Parma. That's I think it. she was saying that I myself don't know exactly what will happen. I run the risk hmm. of being isolated if I go. All right. But then again... What risk is different for Parma? Well, I don't know. Maybe she has to like quarantine before then or something. 
Like yeah. she can't yeah. leave her room. So I, I grant that there are confusing aspects of this. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just chose to right. not engage. You just decided to believe her with your full heart. I'm telling you, the bandwidth, it is very selective these days. <laughs> you scroll. Have you had this experience recently where you scroll through Twitter and you literally have no idea what's going on? Oh, oh, Lord, all the time. Like I... <laughs> And then the effort it would take to find out. Mm. And I'm not one of those people to be out here. Please hold my hand and give me the news today. Give me like, the Twitter news. Like tweet publicly. Yeah. What does this mean when you could just Google? Right. Or, you know. Um, yeah. I have not really had the energy to like look into why certain topics are trending. I've just decided to ignore it. And go back to TikTok. You did look into why Portia Williams was trending last night. Well, that's for sure. That was hard to miss. That's a an ever developing story. Yeah, which I most of our listeners probably don't care about, so mm. we'll spare you. So we were just talking about bubbles and isolating and everything with regard to Bianca, but the ATP. This is from Simon Cambers writing for tennis majors. The ATP has rolled out new changes to the bubble restrictions that basically pops the bubble um it blows the bubble wide open well with a bubble all you need to do is pop it you know <laughs> but when you say it, it just pops the bubble make it seems like a minor act well this is like taking explosives to a bubble heavy-handed sure <laughs> uh, are you familiar with bubbles okay fine anyway okay fine so we'll, we'll tell you the news first, and then we'll editorialize. Starting May 17th, fully vaccinated players will not need to be tested at all. Uh, if players have not been vaccinated, they're going to be tested every two days instead of every four days using the rapid antigen tests. Mm -hmm. And now what's really different is that, you know, previously they were only allowed to go from hotel to tournament and back and forth. They will now be allowed to leave the designated areas, go to restaurants recommended to eat outside. They can do unlimited exercise outside, which, you know, is fine. Like, now now we understand there's very, very low risk. You said you were going to keep the editorial oh, until the yes. end. Yes. Um, they can share accommodation with non-credentialed people. They can stay in other hotels that are not designated tournament hotels. They can use public transit. They can go to the hairdresser, a pool, a beach. This is, I mean, it's a huge departure from where we were. Basically, you can't go to a concert and concerts aren't really happening. Yeah. You can basically do anything is what this is saying. Yes. and if, uh, Explain to me how sharing accommodation with non-credentialed individuals makes sense. Uh, I don't know. Like... The, have those individuals been tested or will they be required to be tested? I don't think so, right? I have no answers to that. <laughs> right? So basically, they can do anything, like you said, except go to large public events, which aren't happening. This, of course, is subject to what's going on in each individual country. Mm -hmm. Granted, given how lax these rules are, do you think there'll be any enforcement for breaking any of these rules? Right, I... How, how does one break these rules? I think this is a, a really big missed opportunity from the ATP to provide incentive for players to get vaccinated. So we talked about a few episodes ago 
there is some vaccine skepticism Mm -hmm. among high profile players and one way to combat that is to provide benefits to those players who choose to get vaccinated and by removing the bubble completely you've taken away that incentive right why not say if you've been vaccinated you can do all these things all those things i just listed but if you haven't you you're still in the bubble why not again we run into to this problem of privileging athletes over regular folk you know like why should arena sebalenko which we know as of just a couple weeks ago was not in this headspace <laughs> but why should arena sebalenko be able to secure a vaccine in belarus to be able to benefit from these restrictions just so that we can play tennis when the situation in belarus isn't as good as the u.s even though the u.s doesn't deserve to be in that position wait what do you mean I'm saying you're say- you want to set up a system whereby it encourages players to get vaccined, mm-hmm. vaccinated, whereby it encourages players to get vaccinated. But most of these players will be getting their vaccines in their home country or countries where they have surplus vaccines at this point. Okay, but wait, their tournaments have already shown that they have the capacity to vaccinate any players who want to be vaccinated sure but is that fair i'm getting to the fairness of it all is what i'm saying well that makes it more fair you know if you roll up to rome or charleston or wherever you're playing and they say hey do you want a vaccine here you go and they've done that in multiple countries already right but in those countries where that's happening Mm -hmm. the regular people who live there the citizens don't have access to those vaccines okay then why roll back the bubble restrictions at all i agree i think things (laughs) should just continue as they are we you know there's no doubt that these are difficult conditions to play under to work under to live under for all of us and for tennis players there have been a few tennis players who've been extremely vocal about how this sucks and they don't want to do it anymore which is understandable and fine but is this wise as a policy going forward if you can't guarantee that people are still being safe? Or is it just like, well, we know players are breaking the rules anyway, so whatever. I remind you, this is the association of tennis professionals (laughs) that we're dealing with here. Mm -hmm. There is nary a thought given to what is the public good. In other news, we saw lots of reports this week that for the first time since ranking started in 1973, that there exists zero American men ranked inside the top 100. It is kind of amazing. The U.S. has been part of the the tennis superpowers since the the early 20th century, and it's it's definitely the end of an era. I would argue that era ended probably a good 15 years ago when. Andy Roddick, James Blake were still, you know, Andy was still winning majors. They were well, both Andy won well, one major, but he was in still two thousand two, two thousand one. He was still contending for majors. Uh-huh. He made a bunch of Slam finals, and it was a time when uh, I think a lot of American tennis fans still felt a lot of pride in those guys, in Andy, Marty, James. That was a generation I felt was easy to like. Mm-hmm. Well, folks still feel a lot of pride in American men's tennis. Well, do for, they? I for mean, worse or worse, it's, they do. 
But outside of tennis fandom, its popularity has plummeted in in the U.S. Yes, both those things are true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are folks who who offer some hope on the men's side. Yeah, some there are. Francis Tiafo, we wish great things for him. But man, a lot of these Americans are, um, you know, they probably already they probably always did hold alarming views, but now we can see it right in our faces. But more than that, they play such a, a static, staid, undeveloped, mm. uncultured game, by and large. <laughs> uncultured. I don't know if I like that, that word, uncultured. But it's definitely not, you know, the most successful of the men over the past decade have been people like Isner and Sock and Query. And it's, it's just not a game that is really all that electrifying anymore. When the top guys can hit with that kind of power and display such variety and athleticism. Listen, if a tennis aesthetic could be compared to an American who has no desire to hold a passport or travel overseas, that's what American's men's tennis is. (laughs) That's what it is right now. Uh, They've got a very basic one-two step. And that's it. Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova gave this wide-ranging interview to sports.ru, which we got a translation from Salty Tennis on Twitter, where she dished on quite a bit of stuff, including some gossip. (laughs) Sports.ru is the place to park yourself if you just want the tea from every Russian player there is. If you like the mess, they've got the mess. First, on Patrick Moratoglu, because Pavechenkova trained with him at a very young age, She was asked, Patrick is considered as a king of self-promotion rather than a coach. Is that right? She says he's a good PR manager. That's a fact. He self-promoted himself and his brand pretty well. But important to note that he has professional staff that work on that. He likes to be a public figure. This we know. (laughs) She says, when I first got into his academy in 2006, he was training Marcos Bagdatis, who reached the Australian Open final that year and lost to Federer. So he was established as a coach before we started working. He's an amazing motivator, always found a way to entertain and to create a good atmosphere in the team. It was really great. Sometimes he would show me some videos on YouTube and we'd be cry laughing. Not every coach can create such a friendly and comfortable environment for the team. He could and it was priceless. I think that's actually pretty insightful as to what makes Glue appealing to tennis mm-hmm. players. Yeah. Like we, this is the week where we learned of some pretty high-profile coaching splits. We've seen coaching splits for years now, whereby it just seems like a, a, a merry-go-round, a coaching carousel. And somebody like Sam Sumik, who Pavlyuchenkova was working with, and she went on to say, well, I don't normally talk about my splits with coaches or whatever, but my PR team was like, listen, you should probably say something. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, the atmosphere in the team was just not something I wanted. Right. And this dude is like, it's my way or the highway. And it can, I imagine it can be a tricky dynamic when there, when there's a gender dynamic in at, at play as well, right? And, and perhaps this is an actual true strength of Patrick with how he pupils and tutors people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe some players are looking for a dictator. Like some players want a really firm figure to tell them what to do. 
Other players will thrive under someone like Patrick. This interviewer was so to the point, right? They were like, Patrick seems like a showboater and he wants to be famous. Is he actually a coach? And Anastasia gave a very generous answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Another specific to the point question. Tennis has more bitches than real life? What? Question mark. That was a popular opinion some time ago. Not anymore, but still, tennis players are the individualists. The concentration of big egos on tour. And she responds to this by saying, it's the same as in life. There are certain individuals among both men and women that have your eyebrows raised. Personally, I don't get Muguruza. I don't think she's a bitch. I just don't get it. One day she's super friendly with you on and off court. We used to be friendly. And then next time you see her, not only she won't say hi, she would just pass you by and completely ignore <laughs> um as speaking of, as someone who has lived real life i feel like there are a lot of assholes in real life as well mm-hmm. i think when you you know in tennis when you give people a little bit of money and you surround them with people telling them that we exist only for your success then that naturally brings out uh, some evil sides of people i don't know who you're referring to specifically no i'm saying <laughs> you know tennis players it's like Okay, you have this entourage that is working for solely for you. You get a little bit of money. If you were kind of an asshole before, you're going to be one as a player too. A more charitable take on that mm-hmm. is that tennis players don't have much of a traditional childhood and they learn so much about themselves as they're in this big public eye. Mm. And so learning about yourself and deciding what it is that you want for yourself, your career, your life... That can change over time. There is a spectrum. There's a continuum. Yeah. There's the Madison Keys Sloan Stevens friendship that will probably survive everything. <laughs> and they'll still be out here giving quote tweet hearts after beating each other in 2040. And then there are players who may not get along from day to day, from week to week, or relationships may break down. Mm. I It was just a little bit curious to me that Muguruza was singled out like this so specifically. (laughs) Yeah. Because, especially during this pandemic, we feel this way, I think I can speak for you, and also a lot of people feel this way, Portia Williams feels this way, that you just decide that certain things just aren't for you anymore. You're not going to put yourself in certain situations. Mm. You're not going to give of yourself in certain ways anymore. Like you hold on to things that are more important to you, maybe superfluous, frivolous, hellos, little chit-chat, isn't you're not about that life anymore i don't know but that is that is miss pavlyachenkova's truth so yeah we've been clamoring for this to happen and it seems like not just in tennis but in life in general short shorts are finally making an en masse return to being in vogue yeah yeah they are Uh, obviously rafa showed up in monte carlo with these little booty shorts on I mean, <laughs> you all saw them. They were, they were to the extreme. Yes, so much so that he changed to a different size for his next tournament. Mm-hmm. Alex Diminar showed up in Madrid with probably the shortest shorts I've seen yet. It's a bit unfortunate that he isn't necessarily the one that I would like to see wear them. But it is, again... You uh, know, not everyone can be Bjorn Borg. I understand. I'm, just, I'm pointing out... It's, a, I guess, a half-assed compliment here. 
But, you know, I mm. was pleased to see those. You, and then Davidovich Fokina, he was another one. Mm. Like, if you don't know much about him or pay much attention to him, he's out here showing a lot of thickness in shorter shorts. Right. It's funny for me as we get older to, like, see on Twitter newer generations discover Bjorn Borg as they get older. You know, so now it's teenagers who, when we were on, you know, started on Twitter, were in, like, elementary school. Uh, discovering Bjorn Borg and his tiny shorts and amazing fashions. And it's like his teen idol status will never die. Barbara Streetsva announced her retirement this week. Previously, we learned that she was pregnant. Now, we learn that she'll retire, but that she wants to return eventually for one last hurrah, one last tournament to play as a thank you to her fans. She's still ranked to the point where she can get into most tournaments. She can right. get into every Grand Slam based on her ranking alone. She's ranked in the 50s, I believe. This is somebody who has been contemplating retirement for a while. And and th- this is this is it for her. I wouldn't be surprised to see her return in doubles. Mm-hmm. It's not long ago that she was ranked number one in doubles. The other retirement announcement that we got this week was from Alexander Dolgopolov who had been MIA for pretty much years at this point. And we got the flowery treatment from the ATP and this and that. But we personally will not forget, ever forget, him saying that gay communities are, quote, not normal. So, um, fie, Dolgopolov. Fie? Be gone. <laughs> what, what is fie? You are an English major. Like, yeah. Old English? Yes. Okay. Anyway, bye. <laughs> Probably the biggest off-court news this week is that both Sophia Kennan and Caroline Garcia have quit their fathers as their coaches. Yeah. John Wertheim teased this last week and said, I think a major player is going to come out with this announcement that they are going to part ways with their father as coach. And Caroline Garcia was the first to do it. And I was like, I was expecting a different one. You know, Caroline Garcia is maybe not a major player at the moment. um, But is someone who has famously been with her father for many, many years, who has perhaps failed to realize a lot of the potential that fellow players have seen in her, except for fits and starts and, you know, in spurts. But the bombshell is Sophia Kennan. Mm hmm. This one actually really surprised me. And then when I thought about it for a little while, I was less surprised because she's suffered this string of of results that in her short career is very unusual for her. And the little that we do know about Sonia is that she's extremely competitive and she takes tennis very, very seriously. It didn't surprise me because Kennan seemed absolutely disgusted by her performances this year. Mm-hmm. Like, her her output did not sit well with her spirit. <laughs> no. And she does not seem like the person to be fucking around with where she wants to go. Like, she has places that she needs to be. When she's stomping <laughs> horizontally along that baseline, mm. she's going somewhere, not just physically, but, but figuratively in her career. Like, there there are things that she wants to achieve, and she's not going to jeopardize that. I didn't get the sense by trying to muddle through an extended P 
period of poor results, like Sian Ostapenko after she won her French mm-hmm. Open. But uh, we also don't know their relationship. They, you know, the Kennan camp seemed very insular. And who knows? Like, we've seen player-parent relationships drag on way, way longer than they should mm-hmm. in this sport. We've seen them derail careers. Yeah. We've seen players hang on way too long. And she's framed this as needing to to find herself and be on her own. It brings to mind how Chrissy Everett spoke about her relationship with her mother mm. in the 70s. About how it was at such a crucial time for her, not just in her tennis, but in just being able to grow up and right. do things on tour and not have to worry about her mother wondering where she was. I think this can only be a positive thing. You quit your parent as a coach. You don't quit them as your father, you know? (laughs) Right. So as difficult it is to navigate that parent-child working relationship in tennis as a coach-pupil, I think it can only be a a benefit to her to to maybe reimagine or discover anew what that relationship can be outside of tennis. Mm. Plus, she's still so young. Like, there's so much learning for her to do about herself. I'm excited for her, honestly. I just hope that she attaches herself to the right people now going forward. Because it's one thing to leave what potentially, I'm speculating here, what potentially could have been a toxic environment for her tennis development and personal development to then attach herself to an overbearing male tennis coach. Please do not go out here and hire Sam Sumik. Do not do that. Kim Kleisters announced that she'll be back in July. She's got an exhibition scheduled, I believe, against Sloane Stevens in Atlanta for the men's mm. tournament. So that will be her first time back on court, and then she'll resume tournament play. Like Is she, that what she said? Mm-hmm. Mm. She got COVID, was unable to travel to Australia, and she also had injuries at the end of last year. It's been a comeback not only interrupted by COVID, but a whole bunch of other things. And, and maybe, hopefully, she'll be able to give it a full goal this time. This brings us to your quiz, James. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. It is again dealing with the top 100 rankings on both the ATP and the WTA tours. So this is an opportunity for you to redeem yourself and or provide some more hilarity for the mm-hmm. listeners. Are you, Is this like current rankings? Current, oh, as then... in... Today is Tuesday as of yesterday, this then, week. Uh, we're really in trouble. It's a very simple premise. I'm giving you two players, one from the ATP, one from the WTA, and the question is, who is ranked higher? <laughs> what does higher mean? Oh my god, this again? Better or worse? It's better. Okay. So, 40 is ranked higher than 50. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got it. I don't like it, but I got it. Naomi Osaka who plays for Japan, not the United States, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ranked at number two, is ranked higher than Roger Federer, who is ranked at, Mm -hmm. like, number eight. Even though eight is a higher number than two. Mm -hmm. It's like golf. It's so confusing. It's the opposite. It's so confusing. What I'm going to do is, maybe this will be easier for the listeners at home, I'm going to go through all ten and not tell you whether you got it right or not, and then I'll come back to it at the end. Okay. And then go through Okay. So question number one. Kasper Ruud or Ons Jabeur? 
Mm, rude. Question number two. Christian Garin or Coco Goff? Garin. Take us through your, your thought process here. What's 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 going through your head as you make I this decision? I have to have a thought process I don't know. It, to it show may, my work? It may add some color. I don't know. I'm taking a guess, like a stab and shot in the dark. <laughs> Literally. There is no thought process. Number three, Taylor Fritz or Daria Kazatkina. Taylor Fritz is number 31. The number one ranked American... So you did some something stuck yeah, from the, the last that episode. stuck. He wears headbands. Mm-hmm. And but he is played he, Novak Djokovic today. Is he ranked higher than two-time titleist this year, mm-hmm. Dasha Kazatkina? Um, yes, I think so. So you're going with Taylor Fritz. Yeah. Question number four. Diego Schwartzman or Serena Williams? Oh, see, that one's really close. I think they're both top 10 right now, right? Um, uh, no, it's Diego. You're locking in. Final answer. Yeah. I feel like these are wrong because I've said all men so far. I'm trying to... Or I'm, am I trying to fuck no, with your No, I'm so... You know when you're like taking a test, a multiple choice test, and you're so clueless that you're like, oh, I have too many A's in a row, so mm-hmm. I should change the answer for one of them. It was always the C. <laughs> The C, like, why are there so many C's? Yeah, which is a good way to know that you have no idea what you're doing. And E always felt like it was absolutely wrong. (laughs) For me, at least. Question number five. Gael Mofis or Maria Sakkari? You've got a pen there, like you're taking notes. I think... (laughs) Like, you need to visualize it. I feel like Gael has had a lot of points come off recently. So I think it's Sakkari. Final answer. Yeah, I guess. All right. Question number six. Sloane Stevens or Nicholas Kyrgios? Uh, Kyrgios. Well, you really you really think that little of Sloane's <laughs> performance the last... <laughs> you're, you're sticking with that. Are you telling me it's wrong? No, I'm... I'm trying to have well, a little too, bit of exposition it's, here. It's too late. No, you're not, locked in. Yeah, you yeah. picked Kyrgios. Number seven. A woman who played very well today. I was quite pleased to see it. Angelique Kerber or Stanley Vavrinko. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Kerber? Like... I have not looked at the rankings in so long. Well, let me let like, me I have ask you this. Literally, no idea. Let me ask you this. of any of these. Where do you think they're ranked? I, I don't know. Kerber and Vavrinko. Kerber is probably like thirty-five. And where do you think Vavrinko is? I don't know. I haven't seen his ass in so long. Forty-five. <laughs> so you think Kerber's ranked higher? At 35, and Vavrinka at 45. Mm-hmm. No, I think Kerber is like 25. And do you think Vavrinka is? Out of the top, out of seeding territory at least. Okay, so you're going with Kerber. Mm. A little bit of a sneak preview here. They're one ranking apart. Oh, great. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. Victoria Azarenka or Yannick Sinner? Hmm. Um, I think it's Vika. Ballpark as to where you think they are. No. 
<laughs> You're just flat uh, out refusing? Like, 17th. And where do you think Sinner is? 18th. <laughs> we'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. Number nine, Igor Sviantek, or Pablo Carreño Busta? I think it's PCB. PCB, okay. Anything to say? Last, I checked, Sviantek was like 15 or 16. I think uh, PCB is always ranked a little bit higher than we think. Okay. You know, like it's easy to forget about him. All right. And number 10, a Canadian content question. Mm-hmm. Leila Fernandez or PTPA VP co-founder, <laughs> businessman extraordinaire, Vashek Pospisil. Yeah. Um, I think it's still, I think it's still Vashek. And if you were to hazard a guess, where do these two occupy the rankings? Uh, like 67. Roughly or thereabouts. Is that what you're saying? No, exactly. Well, I'm going to precisely start, 67. I'm going to start with that one as we go mm. back because... Did I get... Wait, before you start, did I get any of them right? How many do you think you got right? <laughs> I mean, so the odds are 50-50 on uh-huh. each question. Uh-huh. I'm very bad at probability, but it, it would be extremely unlikely to get none of them right. <laughs> That's not what I asked you. Uh-huh. I asked you, how many did how you many? think you got right? Probably like three. You did much better than that. Okay. You got seven right. Whoa. Yeah. And there are some... I mean, I knew that. Like, those were highly educated guesses. And look... Like when the... I said three, I meant I was just being modest. See, I was setting you up to look good because some of the questions mm. I asked you, you gave answers that were so spot on. Really? Yeah. For example, oh, this last one with answers Vashek. that were so stupid. Like your work was wrong, but your answer was right. You covered right. that last time. <laughs> you can't give that. You can't give DBE every week. You know, on the math test in high school, I would sometimes get like, "Okay, you got the right answer, but your work was really wrong." Like, <laughs> I don't know how you got there. We just had to pause the recording because literally every time we record, we're interrupted by a siren. Oh my god. Or a motorcycle. This is Toronto. We literally there live was, right across from like auto shops. There was a helicopter. There no, was. No lie. That one was new. Um, about an hour ago. We had to stop for a helicopter. There was a lady <laughs> screaming outside. Anyway, back to back to this. Number 10, which was Leila Fernandez or Vashik Pospisil, you said the vicinity that you think they're ranked is 67. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, if you take both their rankings and split the difference, it's 67. Well, actually, wow. Wow, that was really good. Wow. And you were correct. Vashik Pospisil is ranked 63, and Leila Fernandez is ranked 70. Wow. Oh, my God. Sviantek or PCB? Correct. You picked Karin Busta. You said that I feel like Sviantek is ranked 15. She is. Wow. <laughs> and PCB, like I said, like he's had a lot of good results in majors. Mm-hmm. And I think he's always in that, like, 10 to 15 range. So what do you think he is? I think he's, like, 13. 12. Okay. Victoria, as a Renka or Yannick Sinner, you think that they're ranked 17 and 18? They're ranked 16 and 18. Oh, my God. And Vika is the correct answer. You know, I I should really be more confident. You need to believe more in yourself. (laughs) Before you start recording, watch Fantasia's season on Mm. American Idol. Listen to her, I believe... 
I believe in the impossible. Number seven, this one was not correct. Angelique Kerber or Stan Wawrinka. That's that's sad. Stan is ranked 25 and Kerber is ranked 26. I'm just going to say that's sad. Because Stanley is a part-time player. Look, these are these ATP rankings. Okay. What's going on? Number six, Sloane Stevens or Nicholas Kyrgios. You were correct. You you tried to trip me up there. I did. I sure did. Kyrgios is ranked 56 and Sloane Stevens is currently ranked 65. Mm. She got into Rome as a lucky loser only because Muhova withdrew mm-hmm. to then play Madison Keys. And Madison... Madison turned the tide she avenged, against her friend. She avenged the loss. It didn't look good for Madison for a while. She lost the first set 6-4. And Madison was spraying the ball everywhere. I think the first set stats, Madison had 11 winners, 22 unforced errors in the first set. I was watching this as I was going to bed last night. And it was... What time was that? You don't want to know. (laughs) And you just got the full Madison experience Mm. of how frustrating it must be to be a super fan of hers. Because if she can just stay in points and not miss 10 feet behind the baseline, she can beat almost anybody. Mm. But the errors, man, wow. Number five... Gail Mofis, Maria Sakari, you picked Sakari and you're wrong. Okay. Mofis is 15 and Sakari is 19. Hmm. Number four, Diego Schwartzman or Serena Williams. Wrong again. What? Yeah. I swear Diego was like I just like, number eight or something. I feel like this is one of the easier ones. Isn't Serena down to like 10? Serena's number eight this week. Oh. So what is Diego? Number 10. Oh. Okay. Well, you think this is a trick question? Just thought you were wrong. I feel like these first three questions, three, two, and one, were easier ones. Taylor Fritz. Fritz is a higher ranked. Daria is number 37. Garin, number 22. Coco Goff, still yet to crack the top 30. Mm-hmm. She's number 35. Yeah. And the last one, Kasper Ruud or Ons Jabour. Rude after his success last week and his success in Monte Carlo up to number 16. And Jibber is number 24. 16? Wow. So 7 out of 10. That's pretty good. You know what? I'm very happy with that. And you know, you probably did similar or better score-wise last week. It's just that your fails were so spectacular right. that it kind right. of clouded your mm-hmm. overall performance. Yeah. Yeah, I can admit that. So if you have taken the quiz at home, please let us know how you did. If you got all 10 right, we really don't need to hear about that because people don't like braggers, you know? (laughs) Uh, But otherwise, let us know. If you, like James, were giving middling bitch energy this week, let us know. If you got a 7 (laughs) out of 10. Not quite stupid. (laughs) Uh, If you got all of them wrong, if you're comfortable letting that part of you be known publicly we would love to hear it because that is an impressive feat Mm -hmm. you have defeated probability and that will be such an ego boost to james (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to episode 227 we can't let this go by without mentioning the sitcom 227 with jack Jack harry marla gibbs 
the very young Regina King, who would go on to win every award there is. Oscars, Golden Globes. Several Emmys. Emmys. I'm here for literally anything Miss Regina King does. Mm-hmm. Miss Jack Hay is going to be on this final season of Pulse. Oh my god. I'm so I am excited. waiting for that. Does anyone know this movie Ladybugs from, I think, like the early 90s? It's Jack Hay and Rodney Dangerfield, and it's about a girls' youth soccer team. We used to watch it all the time. I definitely watched Jonathan it. Jonathan Brandis is in it. Huge crush I had on him yeah. growing up. May he rest in peace. Um, I definitely watched that mm. because that was absolutely right up my alley as a kid, <laughs> yes. but I don't remember it. Um, Jonathan Brandis dresses up like a girl to play on the girls' mm. team. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Anyway, shout out to 227. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. We are the co-hosts of The Body Serve mm-hmm. at The Body Serve on Twitter. You said that like it, it was being questioned. No, it was just the first time I had <laughs> okay. phrased it that way. We're going to be around a lot with the French Open coming up. Mm-hmm. We got three episodes in three weeks. That's how the slam production works. Preview, midweek, recap. Yep, so we will probably be recapping Rome and previewing the French in the same episode? or Maybe. Oh, we'll see. Because we'll see. there's Rome and then there's tournaments next week as right. well. So it's possible you get maybe five weeks in a row of us. Who knows? There, there has to be a point in the season where, where we're super prolific to make up for like a three-week absence somewhere down yes. the road. <laughs> so maybe this is it. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.